All right, Genesis 42. Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt. And Jacob said to his sons, Why are you staring at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us from that place so that we may live and not die. And then ten brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, I'm afraid that harm may befall him. And so the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those who were coming for the famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the ruler over the land, and he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. And he said to them, Why have you come? Where have you come from? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. But Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dream which he had about them. And he said to them, You are spies. You've come down to look at the undefended parts of our land. And then they said to him, No, my lord, but your servant has have come to, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man, we are honest men, your servants are not spies. And yet he said to them, No, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of the land. And so they said, Your servants are twelve brothers in all, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no longer alive. And Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you will be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you that he may get to your brothers while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. But if not, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And so he put them all together in prison for three days. Let's pray. Father, as we just look at your word this morning, remind us, first of all, Lord, that it's your word, that it is not like the other books that we possess, but it's your precious and holy word. And we pray, Father, that you'd speak to our hearts, that if there's an area where we need to be shown something, Lord, that we'd be willing to see that this morning. We pray that you would encourage us, you would instruct us, that you would just build us up, Lord, in this most wonderful faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to um, now the second part of Pharaoh's dream, you remember last week the two-part he had, he had the, uh, the the fat cows and then the ugly cows, and that's the second part, the famine. It could seem to you and I that it really doesn't have uh, much to say to us today. But I want to show you as we weave our way through this, I'll weave this throughout, I mean, is that what we have is really a, a beautiful picture of prayer, of coming to the Lord and the Lord answering and helping us if we want to look at it that way. And so if we see Jacob and his sons as a picture of you and I, and maybe even a picture of mankind in general, and Joseph as a type of Christ, which we know he is, then as they make their way to Egypt and Joseph uh, helps them, it's no different than when you and I pray. Because prayer is that. Prayer is coming to the Lord, asking for help, and he in turn then helps us. It's exactly what we read in Hebrews 4 when it says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
And I like how the New Living Bible puts it there. It says, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And there we'll receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. And so if nothing else, um, what we'll see today is this picture of prayer as we find now uh, the brothers making their way to Egypt to get help to survive the famine. Now, Joseph had been in Egypt for over 20 years by this point in the passage. He was 17, remember, when his brothers sold him off and he was taken down to Egypt. If you look up at uh, chapter 41, verse 46, what we covered last week, when he came before Pharaoh, he was 30, okay? So uh, seven years of plenty would have passed now, and so that would have put him uh, somewhere right around 38, 39 years old um, um, as he, as we find ourselves in this part. And so some 200 to 250 miles to the east, Jacob... Joseph's dad, Joseph's brothers, all their wives, the children, the servants, the animals, everything they had, uh, that's where they lived. And they were on the verge of a major crisis, a famine which could take their lives. And, and if you think about it, it'd be one thing to go through a year or two famine. But a seven-year famine was very significant. And it would be something that would be very hard to go through. And so hearing of food in Egypt, uh, Jacob, the father, then sends his sons to get provision that they might survive. And he sends all of them, of course, but Benjamin, lest he lose him. Remember in our story that it was uh, Jacob and uh, I got to get this right and Rachel. And he worked for Rachel, was tricked by Laban and received Leah, had to work another seven years. And so from Rachel came Joseph, who he thinks is dead, and Benjamin. And so, remember, there was all these brothers that made up Israel, but they had four different mothers, okay? And so, um, this is now uh, what takes place. And there's a bit of humor. I heard somebody laugh at the first verse of the chapter when it says, the dad says, why are you staring at one another? Go down there and buy some food from that place. And really, there could have been hesitation because maybe in the back of their mind, they knew that's where Joseph had been taken. I think they would have thought he's probably dead by now. But who knows? They may have hesitated because they wondered, you don't think he's still down there somewhere, do you? And so anyway. And so if we're going to, right at the beginning here, if we're going to kind of weave this thing of prayer in this whole passage too, and see Jacob and his sons as a picture of you and I, then the first thing that we really could just say about prayer is, and it seems so obvious, but prayer is asking for some kind of help. And that's what prayer is, that we need to go to the Lord with our needs. And we see that as Jacob then sends his son. And again, sometimes we we say, well, I know that, Scott. And I would say, as I do, too, sometimes we're not as fast to go to the Lord and ask for help as we should be. And so that's an important thing to remember, that the Lord um, wants us to go to him and he wants us really to go as fast as we can, almost as if the minute we need help, the next thing that's going on is we're praying and asking God to help us. Well, they make their way to Egypt. And notice verse 5, among many that were doing the same thing. So there's a whole bunch of people from all over making their way to Egypt. And they would have never thought in a hundred years that their brother would be the one that they would then be making their request of. But doing so, what Joseph had dreamed back in chapter 37, verse 7, the binding of the sheaves, and remember their sheaves bowed down to his um, now came true 
as in verse 6, the brothers came before him and bowed down. And he knew. He remembered the dream. He recognized them. They didn't recognize him, but he knew exactly that here it is. This was the very thing that God had shown me all those years earlier. And again, why they didn't recognize him isn't hard to understand. 20 years have passed. Let me tell you. And when I was 17 versus when I was whatever 20 years later is, I looked different. I had hair at 17. Somehow it lost its way. It didn't make it on the journey. Uh, you know, and so 20 years had passed, not to mention he was an Egyptian. He was basically the vice president of the country, if you will. He would have been dressed in royal garb. He would have been wearing makeup. He would have been shaved. And, uh, and also he was speaking through an interpreter. So all those things led to the fact that they really didn't know who it was. And, but they did come to him and notice they did bow down. And so here's the second thing. I know these two will come real fast and then we'll keep making our way about prayer is that prayer can be humbling. And so as the brothers made their way and they are humbled and they have to humble themselves before Joseph, um, that's the same thing that prayer is to be. And, you know, hopefully most of the time we want to go to the Lord. We go to the Lord quickly. But sometimes it can be humbling, can it? Sometimes there can be something personally going on, a work that God is wanting to do in our lives. Maybe a problem. Maybe an issue He's trying to deal with us on. And we're not as quite as ready to go to Him. And yet um, we need to. And so that's another thing to note about prayer is it can be humbling. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Okay, If you resist it, that's a bad thing. But if you don't, that's not a bad thing. Well, seeing his brothers, verse 7, notice it said that he spoke to them harshly and he asked them where they had come from and why they had come. And uh, they accused, he accused them of being spies, verse 9, trying to find some weakness, verse 12, in the country. And so notice in verse 11, they went so far as to say that we are honest brothers. And you might be thinking, well, honest as far as it goes of selling your little brother off, throwing him in a pit and even wanting to kill him. But, you know, maybe something was changing. Maybe something had changed. And honesty now was being replaced by dishonesty in their lives. And you'll see Joseph is going to fish this out. And so they insisted, no, we came for food. And then revealed information, no doubt, that he longed for in verse 13, that his brother was still alive. And Benjamin, his youngest brother, his father was still alive and his, Benjamin, his youngest brother, was still alive too. And so very likely Joseph could now begin to see the possibility of being reunited with his family. You know, for all he knew, they were gone, they were dead, who knows. But now he said, wow, maybe we can get back together. And after all he'd been through and being separated for so long, you know, um, soon he would see the rest of his family as well. And so... This is what starts to take place. Now, at first glance, it seems Joseph is maybe being a bit harsh or even irrational. But really, nothing could be farther from the truth when he, when he says he's harsh with them. And so, you know, we want to find out, you know, what is this, why did he say that? And it really, he, it answers itself in verse 15 when he, it says, by this, he was going to test them. And so, if you picked up on that and you're wondering, why would he be harsh after all these years? It's because he doesn't know where they're at. And he wonders, am I not only dealing with the same brothers, but what would happen if they didn't change? Really, the potential for them to become even worse. 
And so he's aware of that. And he is going to put them through some tests to find out where they are at now. And so, again, we might think Joseph's just getting back of them um, for what they've done to him. But he's going to test them in a number of ways and uh, to determine if they're the same or if they've matured now into men. And so he accuses them of being spies and puts them all into prison. And then he, then he says, if you will, if what you say is true, then I'm going to let one of you go. You're going to go back and bring the youngest so I could find out if there really is a youngest. And really, in his mind, he's saying, if he's still alive is what he's thinking. He knows there's a youngest. And the others will remain in prison. And by this, again, it would help him discern, have they changed? And you know, it may seem funny, but three days in jail would really not be a bad thing. There are people that three days in jail are a good thing for, you know. I remember years ago, when I was a little wild after high school, and I spent a night in solitary confinement in one of the parts of this state, and uh, it was an eye-opener, you know. Me and my four buddies got busted, and they threw us into all the different cells and made us spend the night like that. And I remember the next day, my friend's dad had to come and bail us out. And the worst part was going back to my mom, and my mom was thought for sure it was Doyle. You know, Doyle was the, the ringleader, right? And so she she was sure it was all Doyle and it, Doyle had got the drugs and everything else and how humbling it was to tell her, no, mom, it was me and I had done it. And But it was a good thing that three days in jail uh, for these guys uh, because it was going to help Joseph to know where they're at. And so would they come out fighting or really would they come out with a humble spirit? And they, they really come out with a broken spirit. And if you wonder about the character of Joseph, we've been pointing this out, he could have really been who he was, been having the power he was. He literally could have thrown them in that prison and, as they say, thrown away the key. And that would have been the end of it. He had that kind of power and nobody would have questioned him. Nobody would dare go above his head to Pharaoh as well. And so that's what he could have done. But again, his power is under the control of the Lord and he would not only not do what he thought he was going to do, he'd do it even better. So verse 18 Joseph said to them on the third day, do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. And, but as for the rest of you, go, carry grain from, for the famine of your household and bring your youngest brother to me so your words may be verified and you will not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, truly, we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us. And yet we would not listen. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not tell you? Do not sin against the boy. And you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning of his blood. And they did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and wept. But when he returned to them and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and he bound him before their eyes. And then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to restore every man's money in his sack and to give them provision for the journey. And thus it was done for them. And so they loaded their donkeys and with their grain and departed from there. And as one of them opened his sacks to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money and behold, it was in the mouth of his sack. And then he said to his brother, my money has been returned and behold, it is even in my sack. And their hearts sank and they turned trembling to one another saying, 
what is this that God has done to us? And so another test, he puts the money that they had brought back into their bags um, so that he can see what they're going to do when they find out. And to their credit, you watch, it will come up. They're, they're shaken, verse 28. But when they go back to Egypt uh, with Benjamin for more food and to, to bring Benjamin, as they said, they will then seek to return the money and it will be an indication of Joseph that these guys had indeed changed. Another thing to note about Joseph putting the money in the, their sacks is interesting. By doing so, Joseph was mindful of his family. He was making sure that his family would survive. You know, 20 years and more had passed and he didn't know what they had. Maybe this was what they brought was all the money they had. And so if it was, they would run out and they would never be able to come back again and they would die. And so by doing this, he assured the survival as, a, as his family, as a fa- famine would continue, and they then would have money to come back if that was the case. Another indication of Joseph's character is when he, when he changes his plan. Did you notice that? He sends nine of the brothers back and only keeps one, as opposed to he said, I'm going to keep all of, nine of, eight of you and only send one back. And I think it shows us, as verse 8 says, that he, he feared God. See, there's not what we have in ourselves, that spirit of revenge, that spirit of getting even, that spirit of unforgiveness at times that we find is so there at times when we've been hurt by somebody. And really that's not there in Joseph. He does fear God. And so putting them in prison during the three days, what I think took place is the Lord spoke to his heart. And he realized, you know, I'm going to flip that around. And it could be very well he's being mindful of his father. They've already told him he's old and he could figure out how old his father is. And he's wondering, wow, If I keep that many back, what will it do to dad? And so he might be thinking of that as well. And so what happened? They found grace, didn't they? The same thing that we find when we come to Christ. And another reason that Joseph is a type of Christ. So here's a third thing that we could think about prayer, you guys. Is prayer is that place where grace is received. And so they thought the majority of us are going to stay in prison. And it turns out it doesn't take place. Because he changes his plan, only keeping one of them. And as we read in Hebrews 4 earlier, that's what God's throne is. God's throne is a throne of grace, a place of grace. And aren't you glad for that? I hope on a weekly basis, maybe even a daily basis, you go before the Lord and you realize how unworthy you are, but you're so thankful for his grace. When we meet this morning, we meet before service, a bunch of us, and we pray. And as we were praying this morning, we prayed to that effect, you know, thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you because of your grace, we can do what we're doing right now. We can gather, we can be together, you know, and it's such an incredible and a wonderful thing. And, and that is, that is what prayer is about. If you don't realize that prayer is coming to the throne of grace and in prayer, you will find grace. You know what you'll do? You won't pray. You'll be afraid to pray. You'll think that, no, God's throne is a throne of judgment. And there is that there. But not for the child of God. His grace covers you. And you need to understand, I can go to that throne of grace. I can't tell you how often during a week I go to the Lord. You know, and ask Him. You know, you think I get up on Sunday morning, I say stupid things, and you all laugh, and you all make fun of me, and all this type of stuff. And this is so easy. You know, my wife's just laughing back there. You know, But I find this quite intimidating. I find this quite humbling, you know, this calling that the Lord has put on my life. You know, why me, Lord? Why do I get to get up this morning and speak in a bunch of 
front a bunch of people, you know. And I say it that way and you may think no big deal. It's a big deal at times. And let me tell you, I go to the throne of grace in prayer. And I say, God, I need your grace. I need help this morning to do this. And he does that. So that's another thing we see. Well, he takes Simeon and Simeon would have been the second oldest. And you might wonder, why did he take Simeon as to any of the other eight brothers? And usually it would have been the oldest. okay? and so that would have been Reuben. But if you go back and you could do it later in the 37, you'll remember it. That is where Reuben was the one who said when they were going to take Joseph, he said, don't kill him. And remember the subnote there I showed you in the verse where he said the reason was he said, don't kill him, just throw him into a pit because he was planning on coming back and getting him out of the pit and then get him back to his father. And so Reuben and, and here in verse 21, 22, um, when Reuben says what he does and Joseph's standing right there and can understand what they're saying, he realizes Reuben is innocent. Reuben actually had tried to get the brothers not to do what they did. Remember in 37, then he went to tend the sheep when he came back. Before he knows it, they were he was gone. They had sold him off. And so he picks a, he, he takes a Simeon. And Simeon, if you will, you could look at it later. He, he was a rascal. Him and Levi were probably the least two favorite of the brothers. And so he, he takes a Simeon um, instead. And it's interesting by keeping Simeon, something that he did, and I'm not sure he knew it or not, but he probably did, he was assuring himself that he would then see his family again. Because if the other brothers went back, he had a living map in his brother right there. And he could say, okay, lead the way. And he could end up taking them to his family. So very interesting what he does in keeping Simeon. And notice again their reaction to all this. Verse 21. They said to one another, truly we're a guilty concern our brother because we saw the distress of his soul. And again, this is flashing back to chapter 37 when they were going to kill Joseph and in turn they threw him into the pit and then sold him off. And so they said, we saw uh, the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. And therefore this distress had come upon us. And Reuben said to them, did I not tell you, do not sin against the boy and you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning of his blood. And so they saw what was happening to them right now as a result of what they had done to Joseph those years earlier, over 20 years ago, saying, therefore, the distress has come upon us and now comes the reckoning of his blood. See, they totally believed that Joseph was dead and there was there was no way that a Hebrew would have survived in Egypt all of these years. And so not just now, but for all these years, They had been tormented by the guilt of what they had done to their younger brother. And we know this because all of a sudden, this one event, all of a sudden, you know, what Joseph does here, it just triggers this emotion. And they relate it to one event. This is because what we did to Joseph. And it was like some flash flood hitting the desert. They were just shaken by it. And you could hear the pain, can't you? The misery, the torment and guilt over what they'd done when they say, we are guilty. We saw the distress of the soul. We would not listen. And now in what Joseph is doing, they they saw it as a result of that. And again, the character of Joseph, verse 23, as right there listening to this whole thing, did he give in? Did he change? No. He stands his ground. He knows he had to know if his brothers were the same or if they had changed. 
And we know his heart was right because seeing the whole thing right before his eyes, it's too much for him. He's weep. He starts to weep and he gets out of that room. It's almost as if I know what I need to do, but I wish I didn't have to do it. And so he gets out of the room for a few minutes and, you know, clears up his face. And so not having word of his family, especially of his father and his younger brother all those years, you know, he, he wondered. And, and so it just overcomes him. And, and so he, he tests him in this way. And it, and it really kind of reminds us of the, the heart of Jesus when he wept over Jerusalem. See, that's what I see there. You know, Joseph sees his brothers and he, he hurts for them. He longs for them. This takes us to the fourth thing about prayer. Prayer is best where prayer is the place where what's best is revealed. See, watch this, you guys. The brothers came to Egypt to, for food. But not only did they get their food, but before they got their food, they, the exposure of their sin is exposed. And ultimately, it's the beginning of relief of that exposure. See? And I thought, Lord, that's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes we go before the Lord in prayer. We have something in mind. And there could be a time just where we're thanking him and praising him and we're making some requests known. But then all of a sudden something comes to our mind that we, we weren't even thinking about. Or maybe we were thinking about it, but we didn't want to bring it up. You know? And all of a sudden the Lord says, we're not going to finish this morning till we spend some time on this. And see, that's best for us. Not always what we want. It could be painful. It could be revealing. But be revealing. But when it's done, it is what's best for us. And I see that here because now all of a sudden, the the reconciliation, if you will, is starting, and it's going to happen. We're not going to get to it this week, but it's going to happen. And the wheels are turning. And so they came for one thing, but they really got even something better. And so Joseph was going to test them, and and I think he had to wisdom. There was wisdom in doing it. For all he knew, they were the the same, or like I said, even worse. And so he wants to make sure that they're the same on a good day or a bad day. Maybe he caught them on a good day. And he wants to see them in all types of situations to see how they're going to react. And so he began then, he had begun to learn a couple things. One, their attitude toward their younger brother. He's sensing it in their voices as they speak. And he, he also, their attitude towards the father. Remember, this is the one who they had deceived their father. They had sold Joseph off. They killed the animal. They bloodied his coat. They brought the coat back to dad. And for all these years have been happy to live with the lie of letting their dad believe his son by Rachel was dead. See? And so he wanted to know what, what was going on with these guys. You know? And he's sensing that they're not feeling the same way about their father. And so in verses 29 to 38, they get back to Canaan. They tell Jacob all that had happened, that Simeon had been kept, and they've got a return eventually with Benjamin to prove that they are honest men. Then uh, they, the one found money in his, uh, in his neck already, we saw. Well, then the other brothers discovered their money is in their sacks as well. It causes them all to be, dismay, uh, to, to be dismayed. And you can imagine how it must have hit Jacob, say in verse 36, that you bereaved me of Joseph, and now you bereaved me of Simeon. And you think you're going to bereave me of Benjamin, my youngest as well. And so Reuben tries to assure him in verse 37, you know, saying, I will promise you, Dad, you know, to get Benjamin back to you. He promises the lives of his two sons. But look at verse 38. Jacob says, my son shall not go down with you, 
for his brother is dead. He is alone. He alone is left. If harm should befall him on the journey, you are taking them. Uh, then you will bring my gray hair down to shield in sorrow. And so he won't have anything to do with it. Well, time passes. Something you have to remember, in the, especially in the book of Genesis, is there is time clicking away the whole time. So we just now time passes and they're back in Egypt. This all has taken place. And, and so chapter 43, the famine continues. It's going to go on for seven years. And it seems that Jacob is just holding firm to the fact that Benjamin is not going back with you guys. I'm not going to allow that to happen. All the while, Simeon is back in Egypt in prison. Okay? But you know what? God's plans will not be forsaken. And he knows that God knows he can wait them out. His patience will outlast their hunger. And so guess what? In time, they get hungry. Verse 1, Now the famine was severe in the land. And so came about when they had finished eating the grain which they had brought, bought from Egypt, uh, that their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little food. And Judah spoke to him, however, saying, The man solemnly warned us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy, buy you food. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You will not see my face unless the brother is with you. And then Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly by telling the man whether you still had another brother? But they said, The man questioned particularly about us and our relatives, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you uh, any other brothers? Um, and so we answered his question, Could we possibly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to his father Israel, Send the lad with me, and we'll arise and go, that we may live and not die. We will as well, we as well, as you and all our little ones. I myself will be surety for you. You may hold me responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the name, the blame before you forever. For if we had not delayed, surely we could have returned twice. And so they basically, they could have got back by now. And so just when you think maybe that Judah hasn't changed by saying he wouldn't go without Benjamin kind of think that maybe his attitude is just what it's always been. Um, remember, he's the one that um, lets uh, Joseph be sold um, and says, well, let's sell him. Let's not just kill him. He's the one that married a Canaanite woman. He's the one that lost two of his sons, one because he was wicked. He's the one that lied to his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Okay, But now he steps up. And like Reuben, he promises um, to return with Benjamin and unlike Reuben, who says, I'll give you my two sons, dad, he says, I'll give you my life. I put my life on the line. And then Jacob shines. I think showing us that in spite of his weakness, he is really a great man of God. He relents on Benjamin not going. He changes his mind. And so look at verse 11. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best products of the land in your bags and go get carried down to the man as a present, a little palm a little honey, aromatic gum, mirth, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and arise and return to the man. And may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man so that he will release to you your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. And so the men took this present and they took double the money in their hand and Benjamin and they arose and they went down to Egypt and stood before uh, Joseph. And so 
I say right on, Jacob. You are now showing your sons. You're showing your daughters. You are showing your grandchildren, your servants, and every believer since then that one's life is to be about God's will and others and not about oneself. And I think this is so powerful here. This may be the thing that some of you, God wants to remind you of this morning or maybe even get it in there for the first time. We live in a very self-centered culture and a very self-centered world. And if we don't understand that, it's going to shove us that way. And so we're always going to be thinking of ourselves. But here, Jacob does it at first, and we might not fault him. I mean, you know, you see him, the poor guy. But then, bless his heart, he says, okay, take him. Take him. Because it's really not about me. And so he says, verse 11, if it must be so, then do it. In verse 14, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. And that is yielding to another one's will, to the will of God. And that is so powerful. And you want to know why Jacob, or his name also is Israel, did this? Was it Reuben's promise? You know it's not. Was it Judah's assurance? No. Was it the gift? Those things Egypt didn't have. That's why they were bringing them down there. But it really wasn't. It was an unwavering trust and faith in the person and goodness of God. Look at verse 14. May God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man. In other words, he had no problem in giving his sons into the Lord's care. And that's why I say Jacob is right where he needs to be right now. I love it. He's being flexible, isn't he? Just what Joseph did. You know, Joseph said, eight of you are going to remain. Nine of you will go back. God says, Joseph, okay, Lord, one and, you know, we'll flip it around. And now the same thing. Jacob, you know, had been so firm, you know, you're not going to take him. And now all of a sudden, and no doubt, they're running out of food. They're in trouble. But Jacob finally says, okay. And why? Because he knew God Almighty, verse 14. God Almighty would grant you compassion in the sight of the man. So he was trusting them to there. And you guys, this is such an important thing. And so here's a fifth thing that we could say about prayer is that prayer can be be delayed, but it shouldn't be. And I'm talking on the part of man, not on the part of God. See, God will delay prayers and that's his call. But sometimes we delay praying and we shouldn't do that. We, they were delaying and going back to Egypt a second time. And I think it speaks, it's kind of a picture of, you know, how often do you and I wait until the situation demands that we have to pray? You know, okay, I've waited long enough, I have to pray. And you know, God, I think God just does that. I don't think God's up there going, okay, forget it then. When you finally get around to pray, I'm not going to listen. You know, I don't think he does that at all. I think he knows he, he kind of starts, you know, it's like herding cattle. And he kind of just starts shoving us in the direction where we, we, we can't make any other choice but that choice. And we go, okay, i got to pray. But we shouldn't delay, you guys. And yet sometimes we, 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 we do. And that's why. Why do we want to spend time with the Lord every day? Why do we want to pray every day? So that there, it's just opportunity to, to bring before him these things and to keep bringing them before him. Well, verse 16, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to his house steward, bring the men into the house and slay an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. And so the man did as Joseph said and brought the men into Joseph's house. And so they had passed the test that were they honest? Notice they are. 
They've changed you guys. See here? And they brought back their brother as they said they would. And so no doubt Joseph is sensing that. He's realizing my brothers aren't the same. So verse 18, when the, the, now the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money that we returned in our, that was returned in our sacks the first time that we are being brought in, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for slaves with our donkeys. And so they came near to Joseph's house steward. And they spoke to him at the entrance of the house. And they said, Oh, my Lord, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. And it came about when we came to the lodging place that we opened our sacks. And behold, each man's money was in the mouth of his sacks. And our money is full in full. And so we have brought it back um, in our hand. We have also brought down other money in our hand to buy food. And we do not know who put our money in our sacks. And he said, Be at ease. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. If in, in the sacks, I had your money. And then he brought Simeon out to them. And so um, he, he, he brings, they, they wonder why are they being brought forth? And you can imagine, you know, you'd think that um, having lunch with the vice president would be a good thing. Okay. But they're not really excited about it. They're, they think it's because of the money. And, you know, just stop right there for a minute and think about this, because I think you and I are like that. I, at least I am. I can't speak for all of you, but I find that I still have troubles getting my hands around the goodness of God. I realize how what a wretched sinner I am and how good God is. It, it just seems it's so hard that, you know, that he's that good. And so sometimes we have the promises of God and uh, and yet we can't believe that that's for me, that he wants to bless me in that way. Like they can't believe, you know, why are we eating with him in this place? You know, in Je- Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, you know, the verse where it says God speaks about plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. You know, that's a promise to you and I. Or how about Ephesians 1, 3, where it says that in Christ a believer has been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And I don't know about you, but I know if I look up the word every in the Greek, it will mean just that, every. Nothing has been, been withhold. And yet we always think that, that is it, you know, is, it, is this it? Is this hammer going to come down on me finally? And is God going to crush me this time? And so verse 23, look at, he says, be at ease, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you your treasure in your sack. I had your money. And then he brings Simeon out. And I wonder who was happier there. You know, was it Joseph or, or Simeon? And so, but Joseph and his house steward made sure that his family was cared for. But really, it wasn't Joseph and the steward. It was God. And sometimes it's so hard to believe that the Lord has our good and our future first and foremost in his mind, that which is going to bring us hope and not a disaster. Somebody say amen. Amen. I mean that. You can relate to that, can't you? We just are that way. It's, it's got to be our fallen nature. And we don't realize that in Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You know, in Jeremiah 29 there, I thought it was worth noting. I just spent some time with that verse looking it up. The NASB, what I teach from, says plans for welfare and not calamity. The NIV is really close. It says plans to prosper you and not to harm you 
And so we automatically then jump to, in our minds, being in the world we live, the culture we live, materially, don't we? We, we think of words like welfare and prosper in a material sense. And there is some truth to that. Matthew 6.33 promises us that we are to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he will provide for us the things that we need. But then I thought it was interesting in the New King James and the King James, it says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. And the English Standard Bible says plans for wholeness and not for evil. And all of a sudden I realized, Lord, it isn't just about prosperity, isn't it? It isn't just about things. You know, it's more than that. It's about inward peace. It's about wholeness of life. And, And even if we aren't there yet, that doesn't change his promise one bit. That he who began in a good work in us wants to complete it. And so the sixth thing that we see here about prayer is prayer is a place where we become whole. At least where it starts. And you know, I always, I don't know about you, you know, I, I, every time I say something about what I'm about going to say, it haunts me the rest of the day. And I go, why do you say that? Why do you share your weaknesses with them? Uh, some of them are going to leave. They want a strong pastor, da, 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 da. Okay. But I'll tell you, I realize I'm not whole. <laughs> you know, I've, I came to Christ in September 11th, 1972. And there's still areas in my life that aren't whole. And so I'm sorry if if you want a whole pastor <laughs> and a perfect pastor. You don't got them, okay? And but I mean that because I am so encouraged when I think of this that that that's what he wants. God has plans for our peace. God has plans for our wholeness. And I say that because if you're like me, you say I feel I'm still in the process. And some of you are probably saying, yeah, I'm there too. And I'm not discouraged by that. Yeah, I just wish like, okay, can you just do it today? Can you get it all done? And he doesn't, you know. But I'm so thankful that I do believe we're in the process. And he's doing that work. And bit by bit, he's making me whole. He's helping me understand who I am in Christ, what I have in Christ. And I think he's doing that to many of you too. But I want to encourage you that because that is one of the advantages and one of the blessings of prayer. It is the place where we are made whole. Well, let's finish this chapter 24. Then the man brought them in into Joseph's house, gave them water. They washed their feet and he gave the donkey fodder. And so they prepared the present for Joseph coming in at noon, for they had heard that they were to eat a meal there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present, which was in their hand, and they bowed to the ground before him. And they asked him then about the wealth. He asked them then about their welfare. And he said, is your old father well? of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they said, your servant, our father, is well, and he is still alive. And they bowed down in homage. And as he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, my God, be gracious to you, my son. And Joseph hurried out, for he was deeply stirred over his brother. And he sought a place to weep, and he entered into his chamber, and he wept there. And so I think this is one of the most beautiful passages there is in Scripture. Man, it's just, we can understand this, can't you? All these years, you know. This was his brother, remember? They they had the same mother. And there he is, and he's doing his best to just act like this, you know, official that doesn't know who they are. But then he's overwhelmed, and he just has to run out of the room, and he just starts weeping when he sees his brother. 
And so he gets his composure. He washed his face. Verse 31 came out and he controlled himself and he said to them, serve the meal. And so they served him by himself and then by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews for that is a loathsome to the Egyptians. Now they were seated before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in astonishment. And if you're wondering what that's all about, you've got to understand as these brothers have come to Egypt, you, it's a God thing going on, but they've got to be scratching their head over and over again of all these things that are going on, the money in the bag, on and on and on. And the reason is they just sat, he just sat the brothers in their birth order. And you go, what's the big deal? You know what the big deal is, you mathematicians? It's called 40, to, 40 million to one odds that he could do that. I had to figure that out earlier today. No, I did not. <laughs> I had to help you because I know you do think I'm one brilliant mathematician. Okay. But, yeah, I was up at four this morning. Uh, but no, seriously, that was the odds. And that's why it says there, they were astonished. So he took portions to them from his own table. But Benjamin's fortune was five times as much as their others. And they feasted and drank freely. And so against all these odds, and notice he gives Benjamin more. You know why he did that? He wants to see what's going to happen. Remember how they resented him and it cost him what they did? And he is testing them. Are they still jealous? Are they jealous now that he's the youngest of the father of Rachel as they had been? But verse 34, they didn't, they weren't jealous. And what does it say? They feasted and they drank freely with him. And so the seventh thing about prayer, and this is what we'll close with, Prayer will bring great blessing. Amen? Again, very obvious. But you and I are to pray. We have a loving Heavenly Father that has invited us to His throne. He's opened the door because of Christ and what Christ has done. And He invites us to come. And so next week we'll go into 44 and 45. There's one more test. And then Joseph will reveal himself to his brothers. It gets better if you're into that, you know. This is the crying part of the movie, okay? And so we'll get there next week. Amen? Let's stand.